Welcome to Thoughts on the Market. I'm Ellen Zentner, Morgan Stanley's Chief U.S. Economist. And I'm Sarah Wolf, also on Morgan Stanley's U.S. Economics team. And today on the podcast, we'll be discussing the outlook for the U.S. consumer during this year's tax season and after as inflation remains in the driver's seat and new geopolitical realities raise further concerns. It's Thursday, March 10th at 9 a.m. in New York. So, Ellen, I know you want to get into the U.S. consumer, but before we dig in, I think it would be useful to hear your view on the overall U.S. economy, especially given the new geopolitical challenges. So I think it's helpful to think about a rule of thumb for the effects of oil on overall GDP. For every 10% sustained increase in oil prices, it shaves off about a tenth on GDP growth. And so when we take into account the rise in energy prices that we've seen thus far, we took down our growth forecast for GDP this year by three tenths and shaved off an additional tenth when looking further out into 2023. Now, one thing that I think is important for the U.S. outlook versus European and U.K. colleagues is that energy prices are a much bigger factor in an economy like Europe's and the UK's where they're much more reliant on outside sources, where in the US we've become much more energy independent over the past decade. But I think where I step into your world, Sarah, as we think about higher oil prices then translate into higher gasoline prices, which hits consumers in their pocketbook. So Sarah, that's a great segue to you on the US consumer because this has been one of your focuses on the team. Consumers don't like higher prices. And, you know, we've been seeing this big divergence between sentiment and confidence. So why aren't those measures moving exactly hand in hand if inflation is the biggest concern there? Definitely. There's a lot of focus on consumer confidence, which comes from the conference board and consumer sentiment, which comes from University of Michigan. Both have been trending down, but there's been a record divergence between the two where conference board is sitting about 48 points higher than sentiment. And inflation plays a huge role in this. So just getting down to the methodology of the surveys, the reason there's been such a divergence is because conference board places more of a focus on labor market conditions, whereas University of Michigan sentiment focuses more on inflation expectations. And so when you're in an environment like today where the unemployment it's very low, the labor market's very tight. That's very good for income that gets reflected through the confidence surveys. But at the same time, inflation is extremely high, which erodes real income, and that's getting reflected more in the sentiment survey. So we are seeing this large divergence between the surveys, and they're telling us different things, but I think both are very important to take into account. So let me dig into inflation a little bit further than specifically in how it affects you when you're thinking about our consumer spending outlook. I mean, some of the changes that we've made to CPI forecasts, you know, talk us through that and how you're building that into your estimates for the consumer. So we recently raised our headline forecast for CPI or consumer price index inflation for the end of this year by 40 basis points to 4.4%. And we've also lowered our forecast for real personal consumption expenditures or real PCE but only by about 10 basis points this year to around 2.8%. And the reason that it's not a one-for-one pass-through is, first of all, we're tracking the first quarter spending so much higher than what we had expected. So overall, even though higher gasoline prices will likely hit spending a bit more in the second quarter of 2022, we're already tracking this year much stronger. So on net, the impact's a bit smaller. Also, just because gasoline prices are going up doesn't mean that 
people spend less. Actually, overall, it tends to mean that people just increase their spending pool. So you have income-constrained households at the lower end of the income spectrum. They're going to pull back their spending on non-gasoline, non-utility expenditures. But on the other end, middle, higher income households will just increase their spending pool. You know, gasoline prices go up, so they're just going to be spending a bit more. It doesn't necessarily mean that consumption is going to be lower. If anything, it could add more upside risk to consumer spending. You know, this is where economists can always sound a bit dispassionate because we oftentimes look at things in the aggregate. And you've been writing about how different income levels deal with higher gas prices. Talk about some of the work that you've put out with the retail teams that might be affected by that lower income consumer pulling back. Yeah. So just to start off with, when we look at what this is going to cost households at higher gas prices, we estimate that on an annualized basis, it's going to cost households roughly $1,600 more on gasoline and utilities a year. So that's if higher prices that are where they are today last for the entire year. In terms of the hit by income group, that could raise spending on energy by about 2% of disposable income for the highest income group, but by about 7% for the lowest income group. So that's basically can equate to a 7% hit on non-gasoline and utility spending for lower income households. And so that feeds through mostly into discretionary spending for the lowest income group. And we did work with our retail teams describing this and talking about how very strong job growth and positive real wages are a tailwind for lower end consumers, but it's not enough to outpace the headwinds of stimulus rolling off on top of higher energy prices, which act as a tax to households. Yeah, so it'll be a little bit more of a struggle for them until we get some alleviation from this price burden. I want to walk you through, though, something else that we're in the midst of now. Tax refund season is upon us. And I think the refund season started a few weeks ago. And so you track this on a weekly basis. Once those tax refunds start getting sent out, where are we tracking? Yeah, so you are right. Refund season started in late January and it's going to end in mid-April, so about a month earlier than last year. There's also a lot more going on with tax refunds because of all the COVID emergency programs. There's a lot more refund programs that lower middle income households could file for. You had the child tax credit, you have child care refunds, elderly care refunds. So there was a lot of uncertainty on how refunds were going to come in this year. Through the week ending February 25th, the average refund size was roughly $3,500 per person, which is well above the average refund amount during the same week in previous years. So it's about $1,500 higher than in 2020 and about $800 to $900 than in 2019. So it's really quite significantly higher. And I think this is really important because when we talk about the low-end consumer, it could really provide this extra cushion that they need. We're already seeing in the auto subprime space and credit subprime space that delinquencies are starting to pick up. But I do think that this tax refund season could really help alleviate some of these pressures and bring delinquencies back down as more refunds get distributed. So if I tie a bow around all of this, we still have a constructive outlook on the consumer. You've written about excess savings. You're now tracking the tax refund season. At the end of the day, right, you've talked about how the fundamentals drive the consumer and the fundamentals are 
income and strong labor market. We've got above average job gains. We've got above average wage growth. That creates this income proxy for the consumer that looks quite strong. So I think there's a lot more room to absorb the impact of higher prices today in the U.S. and especially when you compare it to some of our other major trading partners. So Sarah, thanks for taking the time to talk. As always, it was great to speak with you, Ellen. And thanks for listening. If you enjoy Thoughts on the Market, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with a friend or colleague today. The preceding content is informational only and based on information available when created. It is not an offer or solicitation, nor is it tax or legal advice. It does not consider your financial circumstances and objectives and may not be suitable for you. 